0: everybody. Welcome to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am thrilled to be joined by my longtime podcast friend and recent real-life friend, Bradley Clayton. How are you, Bradley?
1: Hi. Hi.
0: I'm good. I'm as good as any of us are. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a... We'll get into that in a moment, but it's a, it's a heavy week to be queer in America. Uh, not that any week is light and fluffy, but this one is particularly rough uh fair warning uh this is going to be a little bit of a trauma dense episode (laughs) i have a feeling oh he laughs laughs as he smiles uh (laughs) <laughs> um bradley first came to my attention uh through my friend terry Blass. when terry first came on the show bradley came with him and uh we had a lot of fun talking about ksar and uh the savage land and his sass <laughs> it was yeah. it was a ton of fun bradley i'm doing a uh i'm doing a trial for ksar on the podcast next february and oh, no. uh not only do i want to invite you because you're wonderful but uh <laughs> I, I'm reading his entire very heteronormative, uh, classist <laughs> origin story. <laughs> it's wild
1: how how the gayest looking character, like like truly a locust for gay energy, can have such a, a such a heteronormative oh, origin. <laughs> yeah. it,
0: well, you know, when it's white straight guys writing him, he becomes <laughs> every white straight man's fantasy. He gets to mm-hmm. kill giant creatures and bed all the women in the jungle, right? Like that's. <laughs> Also my fantasy, like, very <laughs> different fantasy. I don't want to kill the creatures. I want to be bedded by k in the jungle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Bradley also drew my, my incredible uh, Marvel girl, who is on my art wall, for all of you to see. Uh, Bradley's been back on the show uh, a number of times, uh, including for some several of the trials. Uh, and we got to meet at FlameCon recently, and Bradley is even prettier in person. <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh, Bradley, tell people where they might know you from. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Um, so I'm an illustrator. If you're very familiar with me, it's probably from online. Uh, you can catch my work in like Young Men in Love, uh, where I did a story actually with Terry. Uh, and uh, you should pick that up. And uh, I work for a magazine called Friction, where I don't know. I get to do a bunch of fun things. Uh, a lot of, like, I did tarot cards recently, we do, uh, I, I get to do like fun illustration stuff for them all the time. Um, but yeah, largely I do a lot of uh, nerdy superhero art online.
0: I, uh, I've been a comic book reader for a long time and I've always looked at different art styles, but getting to know professional artists, and I've got a number of them that I've interviewed on the show at this point, I adore how every person has their own characteristic style and no one draws like Bradley Clayton. And that is an absolute (laughs) damn compliment. I adore your work.
1: Thank you so much, I appreciate it.
0: Uh, So when I initially talked to you about the idea of this Patreon channel, we were talking about obscure or supporting characters or villains. Uh, I tossed a number your way and you came back with the suggestion of Tommy from the Morlocks and I was immediately delighted. Uh, <laughs> tell me about uh, your connection to this character and why you may or uh, may have brought her up or suggested her.
1: Okay, so she's kind of it. Okay, A, it's it's the design. The design is incredible. She's this like pastel rainbow, uh, like rainbow and, and white queen. And she's also, like, she's in so few things and made such a like insane impact in maybe like five panels or something she is the drew barrymore of comics she's (laughs) drew barrymore in scream (laughs) um like she she's there for such a hot second and she's the first thing anyone thinks of uh when they think of like Right, or so it's she's the first thing I think of when I think of uh, like the um like introduction to the um mutant massacre and all that stuff. Because it's such a like good establishing um it's such a good establishing thing of like what you're about to get into. She's this character that looks like everything a superhero should should be. She's she's this bright sort of pastel princess, and you see her violently murdered, like running, terrified, she gets away and then she's violently murdered because, I mean, I mean, for no small part, like that issue is driving home that like, there is safety in numbers. Team, the, the like, teams are kind of where, like, um, it was the only safe place for mutants, especially at that time. Um, yes. they, they needed the safe space or they would die.
0: Claremont, um, has, Claremont has this ability through a lot of his writing to establish very brief characters, but make you care about them when they die. Uh, I recently did an episode on the Ungarai demons with uh, Ariana Mar. And do you remember Uncanny X-Men 143, where it's like Kitty alone against the demon on Christmas uh, Yes, through the house? In that issue at the very beginning, there's this couple that gets murdered by this demon outside. And he gives them just enough dialogue. And you're like, oh, these two are lovely. And then they're violently killed. It's a brilliant storytelling technique. And he he's able to do that with Tommy, but Tommy is very resonant. Uh, not mm-hmm. only is she queer painted and there's the idea of found family and, and uh, but she's also kind of androgynous. Uh, mm-hmm. She's got an appearance about there that, that that leads us in kind of a David Bowie direction where she, mm-hmm.
1: she almost she's has- She's like pretty sharp.
0: Yeah, there's like, a, there's like a trans vibe or a trans feel to her, although she's never come out in any way. Uh, mm-hmm. There's something about She does look her. like the
1: trans flag given life. Like
0: Absolutely. That, visually, that's very much her vibe. There's something about that that's just like very resonant. I'm going to read, I, I, I always do like a write up on these characters as I'm researching them. So I'm going to read just my quick write up on Tommy really quickly and then let's talk about her a bit. Uh, So, uh, Uncanny X-Men 210, October 1986, it's Chris Claremont and John Romita Jr. Page one, panel one, a sky view of Los Angeles. The caption says, this is the city, Los Angeles, California, the city of angels and devils. Page two, panel two, Stan Lee presents the morning after. We see a young white man holding a gun and wearing a skin tight black and red uh, clothing. He's being hit with a massive harpoon in the back. He cries out, yarg, and a young woman runs forward. Behind him, a thin woman dressed in white pants, low-cut shirt, white jacket. Her hair is all the way down to her knees. It's cascading yellow, white, pink, blue, all light pastel colors. Blue and pink cover her neck and eyes with her hands, jaw, and feet Caucasian. She's running toward the violence yelling, Richard! Page two, energy, electric, cascades out of Richard. Uh, the caption says hunters and hunted killers and victims Richard Sammons age 27. He was good at his job, an ambitious young man with splendid prospects. Now those dreams are lost. His sole concern is survival. Tammy cowers, uh, t- excuse me. Tammy. Tommy. (laughs) Good lord. Uh, Tommy cowers, clasping her hands, uh, yells, Richard, dead. He's dead. Richard mutters weakly, not yet. Help me. Take my hand, Tommy. Give me my gun. Please, Tommy, please. Together, we have a chance. Together, we can still beat the odds. You run on your own. We're both done. But she's too scared, and so she runs. Richard, for the love of heaven, girl, I... Please, he yells, I can't. Page three, we're only three pages in. She runs into a train yard with the colors muted blues and browns behind her. I'm not so far from home, she thinks. I don't know why this, I don't, I don't know this city. No tunnels like under Manhattan, nowhere to hide. I thought it would be such a great adventure wandering across the whole country. Who's after me? Why do they want to kill me? I don't want to die. Richard is still leaking energy, he reaches toward his gun. He thinks every spear attacks nervous system paralyzed can hardly move i've got to make an effort clown try it's only a little ways to the gun reach but a man in a blue boot steps on his hand points a massive tech gun at his hand or at his head naughty naughty chum no more guns for you no more anything richard says your mistake kill me my employers hellfire club will pay you back in kind you're welcome to try the man says they'll get you this uh, they'll get the same as you we see a group of figures in the shadows As the gun levels at Richard's head, Tommy runs and hears a chaboom sound effect. She says, gunshot, Richard, I'm so tired, don't know what to do, where to turn, that train, it's leaving. If I can get aboard this freight car without being spotted, the door is shut and locked. She turns pale and paper thin and slides through the door into a boxcar to safety. But for a mutant, a Morlock, that's no problem, the caption says. Then it says, incredibly, Tommy folds herself flat as a sheet of paper and slips through a crack in the door. She curls up on the ground in the fetal position and thinks, I did it. I made it. I'm going to live. Everything's fine. Everything's going to be all right. Oh, Richard, you were so kind. You saved me when those butchers murdered my friends. I'm sorry I left you, but I was so scared. Outside, the shadowy figure closes in. They're called the Marauders, and they let Tommy go for now. Let's talk about this intro. (laughs) Tommy. (laughs) Tell me your thoughts reading this uh, little four-page intro.
1: It's so it's so rough. Uh, It's well, I guess it's rough in retrospect kind of reading it for the first time. I, I remember first reading it and it basically like I knew I wasn't that familiar with her in future comics, but characters appear and then go off into their own sections of the universe all the time. Um, it didn't even occur to me that she would not make it out of this event alive. This seems so much like a character that you're introduced with and you follow them or whatever, they go away. But and and she gets away very temporarily and then and then it is very shortly murdered in front of you to establish kind of what you're I don't know what what the scale of this event is going to be like. Um sorry one
0: second she is uh she is a sympathetic quick to care about character who is yeah you you get the sense she's off on her own she has Mm -hmm. we'll talk about the morlocks in a moment but she's left the morlocks she's having some sort of grand adventure she's having a fling with a guy who works for the hellfire club of all things uh you have to read a lot of this in subtext she's often in uh in los angeles and they are attacked uh what well
1: What she feels like is sort of like a, um, like a um, dagger, like a cloak and dagger kind of character. And you think like, oh, it's gonna be some teen off in the, living a superhero life on their own in the city or whatever, (laughs) made very quickly clear that that will not be her story. (laughs)
0: Yeah. What are we to intuit about her story? Who is she? Where does she come from?
1: I mean, well, as it's not very clear like where she came from. It's clear that her family, I believe her friend, I think her friends were like just murdered and, uh, and uh, Richard saved her from that and then kind of rescued her and they've been on the run for a little while.
0: There's a lot uh, to interpret, yeah. You have to kind of add your own interpretation to this story.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really kind of a, and, and I mean, I think that's probably why she resonates is that everyone does kind of, they kind of fill in, I don't know, you kind of fill in the gaps yourself with what, I don't know, is something identifiable to you. Uh,
0: she might be trans, she might mm-hmm. be queer, but she's definitely mutant. Mm -hmm. And we have these long histories of stories where we can queer code them because every character is queer coded when you're a mutant. But she (laughs) has run away from home and she's gone to the big city. She's living in New York and the place that she finds home is with the Morlocks. Who are the Morlocks?
1: Oh, the uh, Morlocks are the the tunnel dwellers with uh, Callisto, uh, who, (laughs) You see, you get a really wrong feel this issue. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: but
1: yeah, the, it's uh, Storm, Storm, and Callisto's team of more lot of uh, mutants in the tunnels.
0: There's this vibe, and again, there's a long history of queer people having to leave their families behind and go to the city and try to survive. There's this vibe of if you're not pretty or rich or white, you don't fit with the X-Men. And so you got to find someplace else to go. It's never quite mm. stated that way, but the Morlocks are the catch-all. They've built their own mm. society. underneath. <laughs> well, it's not
1: stated by the X-Men that way, but <laughs> <laughs> the Morlocks are very clear about the score.
0: <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the non-passing mutants, the ones who... Yeah. Fit in into the wider public or whose powers aren't impressive enough you know they have to Mm -hmm. move into this space and create this community and this is where you Mm -hmm. get characters like caliban and mole and mask and i mean there's there's a thousand of them uh uh who are some of your favorite morlocks
1: oh i i have an affection for Annalie. um if uh if your queer circle doesn't include a freaky little old lady you're doing it wrong
0: (laughs) She's like a cat lady (laughs) with hypnosis powers who like brings small children into her care because she suffered some Mm -hmm. sort of big loss. Uh, Do you have other
1: Um, Let's see.
0: I adore Caliban. He's one of my top favorites. I've had a, I had fish all through high school and college and they were all named Caliban. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's Um, really cute. There's there's a uh, there's something about some of the freakier ones too, like uh, the character Bliss, who looks like Jean Grey, but then she opens mm-hmm. her mouth, and a, tongue, <laughs> a tongue with a face on it comes out. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, yeah, a freaky little, freaky little face. I do love Bliss. Yeah.
0: Uh, or Erg, he's the guy with the uh, the eye patch that like shoots out electric zaps. There's there's a ton of these characters. There's a there's yeah, probably at least three or four dozen named Morlocks and then a much more that are behind the scenes. Uh, so but, yeah. Very, it's pretty yeah. good
1: about establishing, especially in this, you get an idea of the scale of this city of, of the like size of them that are, that are in the tunnels and stuff. Um, like you, you really understand they've had a whole life down here. Um, as, as they keep uncovering bodies, uh, as they're looking through the, the tunnels for what happened, not to get too ahead of ourselves. But you, it, it does a good job of establishing what kind of like, I don't know, the scale of, of the mutant society down here.
0: Yeah, so uh, Claremont's about to introduce this giant scoping story that's infamous called the Mutant Massacre. He's bringing in an entirely new team of villains called the Marauders. The only one that's known I think is Sabertooth. Uh, the others include a bunch of characters with really savage power sets they are from a bunch of different ethnicities, uh, and they are savage. There is uh, the character Scalp Hunter, who more politically correctly now is called Gray Crow in the comics. Uh there is Harpoon and Arclight and Riptide and Blockbuster, who am I forgetting? Uh Scrambler. Uh, uh yeah. I think there's one or two more, uh, but out off the top of Did my you head. Say-
1: um. Oh, what's her name? Vertigo. Did you say Vertigo? Vertigo? Yeah, 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 yeah. Vertigo also
0: is okay. pre-existing. She was one of the mm-hmm. Savage Land mutates. Yeah, I mm-hmm. love. Her. Uh, and they are attacking the weakest of the mutants. They're basically going. It's it's kind of an, the idea of uh, you're not safe anywhere. But they're literally attacking the the uh, quote unquote underlings of the mutant society. Uh, almost like how dare you find a home? How dare mm-hmm. you feel safe? we are the strong mutants, we are the assassins, we're coming after you. What's the point of this story to you, Brad?
1: Well, in no uncertain terms, he does say, like, um, um, Grey Crow um, uh, says when when he uncovers Annalie, not to be the number one Annalie Stan in the chat. Um, I love, I love he <laughs> That he uncovers her with two, like, tiny children uh, off in a um, in uh, like, a, like a room somewhere and she said she tells him like you can kill me but please spare them and he, he puts it in no uncertain terms he says that I'm the wrong guy and that's not the argument for me it didn't stop me when I killed those kids last week and it won't stop me now I, it is not a they're not doing this for any like as retributive justice or anything like that it is simply uh and and they don't care about i don't know they're not here for a fight they're here to murder
0: they've taken a job they have been assigned mm-hmm. to go kill these people and it is not their job to ask questions it's very yeah. much the element of like mercenaries in, in vulnerable countries. It's kind of a Vietnam story in that way. We are mm-hmm. here to, to complete this, this assignment, which means they told us to kill everyone in the village and you are in our way. And it's, uh, yeah. it's uncomfortable how much joy they seem to take in it. The, the marauders mm. uh, really, it's, it's like they're laughing as they're torturing and killing the innocent. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a rough, it's a rough storyline and there's a lot of layers and a lot of levels to it. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, and I, I, focused primarily on Tommy when doing my research for this particular episode, but if I'm remembering correctly, Mr. Sinister has assigned them to go in for a couple of reasons. Initially, it seems like he's, he sees the Morlocks as useless, as wasteful. There's an element, kind of the survival of the fitness, or the fitness. God, I can't talk. <laughs> survival of the fittest. Uh, but Sinister also... would love that though. Sinister <laughs> would love the
1: survival
0: of the fittest, baby. Yes, he would. There's this also an element gym somewhere. There's there's an element later of a uh, oh, Sinister doesn't go to the gym. He just injects pecs <laughs> into his suit. Uh, there's an element added later where the character, the dark. Beast from the Age of Apocalypse uh, seems to have found kind of a power base in the Morlocks and Sinister is eliminating a rival geneticist is kind of a level they add in another mm-hmm. time. What is your understanding of why the Marauders are going after the Morlocks in the first place?
1: Um, I I think I like the idea that Dark Beast was taking. I, 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 I dislike that um, because I think well, I guess it works either way, but I, I think the element that it's, in a lot of ways, it's always mutants taking out their own because uh, because they think they're detrimental to their cause is one of the most prescient uh, and recurring things that we see in real life as well. People are always, um, e- queer people are always, uh, doing this in particular as well, saying like, well, pushing whoever they don't think is currently um, advantageous to their goals aside. It's been people of color before, it's been disabled people, well, all along, Um, especially now. Um, and, And basically saying, well, in a, in a lot of ways, it's less direct than this, but saying your life is not as important as, as our goals right now.
0: Um, well, there's, I think there's a double layer to that. I think number one, it is, you are less deserving of life than me. Mm-hmm. And number two, because you exist, I am threatened if i mm-hmm. allow you to continue to exist then my place in society is threatened but there's a there's a coding that happens in the majority where we see people as less than and on top of that we we classify them as unworthy of existence on one level but also you don't uh, y- you being continued to allow to exist is a threat mm-hmm. which is gross it's so it's so uncomfortable yeah, we understand We understand this in a different way in 2022 than we would have when this was initially written in the early 80s uh, or in the mid 80s. I mean, if we take it back to that place, uh, I don't know that the message has changed that much. Uh, The Mm -hmm. society and the understanding has changed, but I don't know if the message has changed. This is pre-AIDS crisis, kind of right mm-hmm. as things are starting to heat up, where a lot of gay men. I was about
1: to say it's hard not to read it through that lens, but I, I didn't think it had really gotten to to the crisis point that it would later say around um, uh, what was the fake mutant uh, AIDS called? Uh, was the what's the, the legacy AIDS? virus? The legacy, yeah, it's not quite legacy virus, but it's hard not to read it as, uh, as that same vein of, of commentary.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's it, well, we have a long history of queer people being attacked and particularly mm-hmm. trans people being attacked for who they are. How dare you feel mm-hmm. safe is the ongoing message. Now the Morlocks, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Claremont introduces them as a lot of things. It's a classism thing. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a found family thing they've established their own society with their own rules and structures. It's uh, almost kind of agrarian, or uh, uh, they they are not living under the same rules uh, from the societies that they were brought up in. They've established their own. And when we meet them in the X-Men, there's initially that kind of conflict where they start taking things from the surface world. They're kidnapping the pretty people and bringing them down (laughs) and Angel's pinned to the wall and Caliban wants to marry Kitty Pride, and Storm has to fight (laughs) Callisto. Storm has to fight Callisto in order to achieve what they call leadership. It's the survival of the fittest model. But when the assassins come down, then they need help because (laughs) there's nowhere left to turn. Uh, There's so many levels to this that we could delve into. It's uh, Mm -hmm. it's an intense- Because
1: they're not purely a- a, um... Like the, the thing about the Morlocks is, it's in this story they're mostly sim- just sympathetic, but they're not purely a sympathetic group of people. Not always. They're a difficult. Uh, they're a difficult people on their best day, um, but I mean it's it's because of the trauma that they've kind of faced that they they've they've learned the way to to overcome is by fighting.
0: Um, so we could, we could delve into this from just off the top of my head, the angle of how the X-Men view this, how Mr. Sinister look views this, how the Marauders view this, how society views this, and then the uh, like the Avengers and Thor get involved and how they view this. But I wanna very much keep this perspective focused on Tommy and the Morlocks uh, themselves and how this is viewed for them. Uh, uh, the concept of found family, when we look at our upbringings and we look at the society that tells us we are wrong, we are broken, we are not okay. And we leave home and we come out and we find the people who love us and support us. And there's still status and there's still judgment and rankings and all of that, but we create safe spaces with the people that we care about. Uh, that exists in my life as a, as a 44 year old father of two queer kids uh, who has a husband and a, a community of, uh, of gay and trans and non-binary people that I love. Uh, We all have these family systems that we have found. And whenever I have to go back to the regular society, which is happening in a few days when I go home for Thanksgiving, uh, (laughs) there's an idea of kind of I'm leaving my safety behind and stepping into another space. Um, Mm -hmm. But I have all kinds of places where I feel safe in my life that I have built for myself. Uh, Do you have any any thoughts on that, the concept of found family?
1: Well, I mean, yeah. So I, I often credit, so... Another thing currently going on is the dissolution of what what appears to be uh, Twitter going uh, down the drain as a result of the I won't even say careless. I, I lean toward intentional acts of a of a megalomaniac. Um, for all its faults, that is what Twitter is. That's what online spaces have always been is a place of community and a found family. And and, uh, when those places, and and there's a lot of like glee because they certainly have their downsides. Um, But when those places are eroded, it's one more place that uh, not only queer people, but marginalized people of every kind just sort of don't, they they have one less home than they had before. Um, I often credit, My experience on Tumblr when I was a teen with my, like, with the freedom that I felt to just come out of the closet when I left home and it was finally safe for me to do that. Uh, Because I knew that while it wasn't safe back home, there were people out in the world that would like me for who I was. Um, And if I hadn't had that, the way, I don't know, I, I imagine teens will will find another place now, but but you do watch these, these safe places get eroded for, I don't know, these factors that have nothing to do with any of the communities that exist there and that they can't do anything about. And it's hard to see.
0: Uh, where are you from?
1: I'm from Alabama, sorry. Oh, uh,
0: and then you moved to New York City when?
1: Um, I moved to New York. Well, I moved to, uh, most importantly, I, I was queer in Alabama for a little while. I was not queer uh, at home, especially, uh, and when I was uh, younger, um, but I, I went to college uh, at the University of Alabama uh, and basically came out immediately when I moved there because I just didn't want to deal with... To come out i just sort of made it seem like i had always been like an out person um which like i said i i always credit it was easy for me to do that by then because i was used to telling people online i was gay 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 yeah uh wait but, you're gay um,
0: just kidding <laughs> what <laughs>
1: um but uh But no, I'm from Alabama. I moved to New Jersey in 2016 and then New York in 2019.
0: Okay. Yeah, my story, uh, which I've shared on the pod before, uh, is very different but very similar. I grew up in a very religious family that had a ton of trauma. And I was the good Mm -hmm. kid. I was the one that took care of everybody, even though I'm one of the youngest. I have a gay little sister and uh, all kinds of abuse and drama and drugs and jail and all kinds of shit going on in my family. And I never spoke it out loud that I was gay, but I also was part of a church that said gay is gross, it is wrong, you are broken, you're an abomination, you haven't tried hard enough to cure yourself. Uh, Mm -hmm. To the point where uh, a recent leader in this church, I live in Utah, uh, used the term uh, that basically religious rights have the right to use musket fire to defend themselves when their religious liberties are being threatened. That happened like a year Mm -hmm. ago. Uh, so I got, I got married and had children before coming out because I wasn't allowed to be gay. I saw When my sister came out, I saw my family react terribly. So I was 32 when I finally emerged from the closet. And I have built an incredible, happy, safe, wonderful life for myself now. But it was through a lot of work. Just last weekend, I work from home and I work with a lot of disenfranchised people. My husband and I went out to a gay club one night. We watched a drag performance. We danced on the floor with a bunch of our friends The next day, we took our children who are queer, one is gay, one is non-binary, to Drag Queen Bingo. And there's a big crowd of people and the queens are running around and everybody's laughing and having a good time. And then three days after that, we get this news out of Colorado Springs, uh, which is not far from where I live. Uh, It's a very Republican conservative town that has three or four gay clubs in it. And you hear about people dancing and watching drag shows and having a good time together and a man with a gun walks in. And says, "Here I am, and you don't matter to me. Um, I don't even know how to process how I'm feeling as I put all of this in one space. Uh, oof. <laughs> how are you doing, my friend?"
1: Yeah, no, I mean that's that's exactly. I mean it's it's exactly my thing too. I mean it's it's the point of these attacks is that everyone thinks everyone thinks in their respective corners that could be me. That could be me any night I go out. because um, I mean, I, I don't know. I live in new york i i I always feel like our bars are are very um I don't know, a target because New York is so famously gay and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you think that place in Colorado Springs could have been any bar. I mean, the pulse same deal. Uh, oh my God! The and those kind of, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, and and these they stick with us, and uh, they stick with us for a long time. You you think every time you go out you, for years, I don't know, uh, is this the night? And uh, and you just kind of hope it isn't. It's not. You can't lose the safe spaces because or you can't lose these spaces because community. We need community. Uh, but i don't know it's it's a thing that's hard to (laughs) it's it's hard to come up with easy answers and i guess that is it there's no answer for it it's just
0: i um i made a documentary in 2019 it's called dog valley we cover hate crimes legislation as we focus on one particular utah case but in 2019 utah passed hate crimes legislation for the first time it is not that long ago. And I was in the room when it was passed and the Senator uh, Thatcher who was giving this speech to a very Republican white uh, majority leadership uh, was saying there he was kind of educating them on what hate crimes are. And the analogy he used was brilliant. He goes, there is a difference between a guy spray painting his girlfriend's name on a wall, and a guy spray painting a swastika with the words die Jews on a Jewish synagogue. Those are different Mm. crimes. One is about an individual, the other is about a group of people who've been targeted systemically and been taught to be hated in modern society. There is a difference between a shooting in a random place and a guy who targets queer people in a club or Black people in a church or or immigrant children in a school. It's a different level of of pain that we have to reckon with. Uh, And I don't know if most people who are non-queer or not part of these different minority groups, understand what it's like to be afraid to go to the places where we're supposed to feel safe. It's a okay. rough thing to reckon with.
1: It is. And and getting, getting back to Tommy, what is interesting is that she she is a character who has a whole life and a, a very interesting life and story and could have been dagger or could have been an x-man or could have been anything but instead she's her every time she's remembered it's for that one instance of violence that she died in um and it's it's what makes me think of these people that um that were people with their own stories and their own lives brianna taylor these these people that that we uh, were never allowed to—I don't know—to live the rest of their lives. Instead, they become sort of figureheads yeah. uh, for because of a moment of
0: violence. Yeah. Um, when I, yeah, when I when I grew up not feeling safe, and I found places to feel safe—that's the key. Mm-hmm. And Tommy, a lot of Morlocks were massacred in this story, but Tommy's painted in the colors of the trans flag, and she looks androgynous, and she becomes mm-hmm. queer representative in that way. Uh, taking b- away, well, I mean, we're not going to get less heavy, but taking away from that wider conversation, <laughs> focusing back on Tommy. Uh, what are her powers? She's got oh, a signature can... look and a signature set of powers. Oh, she's thin, honey. <laughs> 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 Snatch!
1: No, she uh, she makes herself like as thin as like paper, like thin enough that she could get in through the like uh, through the seams between the metal sheets on the train, um, it's, it's sort of like a Mr. Fantastic kind of thing, but she doesn't stretch. She just sort of like, she's able to
0: squash herself. She, uh, she makes me think of the character Flatman from the from uh, yeah. Great Lakes Avengers, except he can stretch. Mm-hmm. He's also gay. Uh, and then I also think of that Spider-Man villain, Paper Doll, who can make herself mm-hmm. like crazy thin and like cut people up, like slice them up. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder what she's capable of. Her appearance doesn't seem to have a lot to do with her powers. Uh, no the (laughs) glow like the she glows i
1: think it looks very much like she glows uh her hair floats none of that has anything to do with getting thin she just it's for the (laughs) serve it makes
0: me it makes me feel like there's a lot more to her that we don't know like they haven't explored Mm -hmm. what she's capable of Okay, yeah, she's
1: got her powers and then she has her features for the dolls. Uh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna pick up my narrative again and going back to this issue. Most of the issue we covered, it started at the beginning, it focuses on the X-Men, I'm gonna bypass all of that. And then we get to the end of the book. Uh, Tommy escaped on the train, the train pulls into New York City. The caption says, the railway tunnel beneath Park Avenue, running from the top of Manhattan Island down the east side to Grand Central Station the 20th century from Chicago is two hours late, as usual, but Tommy couldn't care less as she folds herself flat and slips out of the baggage car. All that matters to her is that she's alive and home. Uh, Then we see Tommy fold herself back through the car and back into the familiar Morlock tunnels. We've just met this character, but there is something so unique and gorgeous about her. Uh, She's alive. She's original in a sea full of characters who uh, (laughs) sometimes feel the same as each other. Uh, She says, I thought I'd never see these old tunnels again. They never looked so beautiful. I changed trains so many times. It took ages to get cross country. There's no way those creeps could have followed me. I'm safe. And she is a small figure walking into a massive tunnel down a big flight of stairs. And then the harpoon hits her with a smash sound. Surprise, sweetheart. She glows red and yellow as lightning leaves her body, which is kind of an energy effect that harpoons, harpoons have on you. Uh, She (laughs) screams in pain, the marauders loom over her still in shadow. We don't even see their faces. Tommy doesn't even see their faces. Uh, They say, you figure we're chumps, girl. She says, no, no, please. No, don't. No, no, no. They say, you should have listened to your Hellfire Club boyfriend. He had it pegged together. You had a chance. Alone? Too bad. We let you go. So you'd lead us back to your fellow Morlocks. No hard feelings. Nothing personal, it's our job. We're pros, the best, marauders. Scalp hunter or gray crow connects his rifle, expands it, cocks it, click clack is the sound. We get one final image of Tommy in pastels, tears leaking out of our eyes. He says, don't feel sad, youngster, because where you're going, you'll soon have lots of company. And then a full panel sound effect, boom. Uh, the, The caption box says next massacre and the issue ends.
1: Well, what's also interesting about sort of we didn't uh, we didn't talk about this much before, but when they kill Richard after she's left, she hears the um, she hears the the uh, gunshot from from I think several blocks away, uh, yeah. at least or something. um and and that's how she learns Richard has been uh, murdered. And we're kind of put in her shoes here as the last panel is uh we we get a close up on her face in the second to last and then the last panel's far down the tunnel we hear a boom and it's it, it kind of i think puts you really in her shoes um yeah makes you very scared about what's coming next
0: yeah i mean this is storytelling it's comic books and claremont has that way of making real life on the page but we want to care about the characters we want it to feel like a big threat the thought is when you're reading this as a non-queer person like oh my god the x-men are going to fight these crazy assassins next issue but when you're a person who's been afraid this resonates in a different way it hits us hard god it's good Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) also i will say uh so we've been talking about the marauders with the knowledge of who they are and what, what their deal is. Um, But they have been kept in shadow for this whole issue. And it's a a really very um, effective reveal at the beginning of the next issue. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but, but that this whole time, they've been kept really well in shadow and are truly very, very scary. And that that they don't look like a superhero or a supervillain team the way, uh, a bunch of, you know, crazy costumes is inevitably Going to here, they are a faceless mob of of people who are just, and a, a, I don't know, a murdering team. They don't hey, even this... kill with superpowers. Uh, from what, like, the two kills we've seen so far were gunshots.
0: Uh, this is not the rest. Of- it's not yeah. the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. It's a it's a trained group of superpowered assassins. Murderers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, that, that Vietnam comparison I gave earlier. It's what me. It, it's the hit squad going in to kill the innocents. It's it's mm-hmm. scary. It's Sinister's it's like God. He's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Um. I wanted to focus this on one more character who's very queer coded for me, although people don't remember her in the same way, and that is uh, Cybel. So it's it, oh yeah. We could talk about Callisto and Caliban and Anna Lee. By the way, every time you mention Anna Lee, I think of the cartoon where she goes covered in scorpions. <laughs> the cartoon does
1: does our Morlocks well. They they give you Anna Lee. They give you Tommy. You see Tommy for for. a a fair amount, I think, during the cartoon, whenever you see the Morlocks.
0: We've got Leech, we've got Sunder, we've got, I mean, there's so many characters we love and could talk about, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to focus this a little bit on Cybele. So uh, Uncanny X-Men 211, this is where we see the Marauders for the first time. There's a group of Morlocks sitting around the table, relaxed, like in their home in the tunnels, and the Marauders attack, and they just start picking everybody off. And this is more... Oh, this is more, I mean, in the previous issue, we had someone isolated being hunted. This is someone entering your home and trying to kill everybody there, which is the gay club story all over. Well,
1: it's the gay club and it's, this is partially because I'm I'm reading this again and it's, you know, uh, two days before Thanksgiving, but it, it's hard to look at the image of them in their cozy little home spot and not see you sitting at some kind of like improvised Thanksgiving thing with your found family. Like uh, that's partially me superimposing just because of the time of year, but it's, it was part of my reading and it's,
0: it's very, it makes the whole thing really sickening. They were at ease. They didn't have a chance to defend themselves because they're sitting there Mm -hmm. and the gun's already going off. You're reacting to your friend being shot before you could even do Mm -hmm. anything else. It's, it's rough. Uh, But amidst the slaughter, here's the caption box. A young woman dives for the wall, biting back tears at the pain of a wounded arm and back, the greater pain of loss as acid, exuding like sweat from her pores, sears a path through solid stone. So this is Cybele's powers. She has acid sweat, which sounds very inconvenient. Amazing. <laughs> uh, she, runs, she runs down the hall screaming, help Callisto, help everyone come quickly, murder strangers in our tunnels. Hurry, please hurry or they'll kill us all. Uh, Arclight, who is a woman with basically earthquake powers, she's like Richter, uh, collapses the tunnel on the woman. Harpoon hits her with an energy spear that starts draining her life. And we see her clearly for the first time. Uh, do, do you have a, an image of Cybele handy? Can you describe this character for us? Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at this panel now. And we actually kind of, this is ironic, but we kind of, we see her better. We see her better briefly in the modern day than we see her in any of her appearance here. Yes. because uh, She shows up again again on Krakoa, but um, uh, yeah, she's kind of, she's kind of it. She's, for a woman who sweats acid, I don't know how clothing (laughs) or jewelry works, but she is decked. She's kind of, she's got all gold. She's got these like beautiful bangles um, and like these like big, not like hoop earrings, but like these big, like, like Jasmine, like princess Jasmine earrings. (laughs) Um, And, and like, she's kind of got a, like a slouchy, um, uh what do you call it cardigan
0: the look is it she's,
1: the bracelets looking... necklaces
0: she gives me like butch dyke punk is like how i would yeah. describe her and i say that with absolute affection like i think she's... yeah she didn't have to do it like i don't know how to tell him this you don't have to do
1: all this down in the tunnels you do the this is a flex she does this for love of the game <laughs>
0: uh there's a she her name is Cybel. uh c-y-b-e-l-l-e uh which is wonderful on its own.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Callisto calls out to her there's an unnamed like purple furry mutant mole guy that like digs through a wall to beg for help and as he arrives he's already dead and the X-Men are just getting there and they're uh they're they're surveying there's multiple blade and gunshot wounds massive internal trauma pulverized bone Cybele is very quickly killed uh, and then right, right after that is when Scalp Hunter or Grey Crow guns down Anna Lee and her children. Uh, being born is enough for you to die, like basically is kind of the message he delivers. And we're not going to cover the rest of the massacre, but we have these characters who in one or two panels have these images that stick with us and we remember them and they are right. gone then. It's the memorial wall. It's what we're seeing on Facebook or Instagram right now. As people are typing up little paragraph long bios about the people just killed it at Club Q, uh, and that's all we get. It's uh, they're they're tragic. It's gone. Their stories are lost. It's oh, I'm so mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, any thoughts on Cybil and Tommy before we kind of cover the modern continuity stuff? Um.
1: Oh. Uh... Um. I do have a so. Cybella and Tommy in a second, but I do think it's interesting where, where the X-Men find out about the, the, the tragedy in the tunnels is because this the, the Morlock, the big furry purple and gray Morlock uh, that plunges through the ground immediately. Or, so like um, uh, Wolverine and Nightcrawler are, are just kind of chatting, talking about sort of what's going on currently other than this because they don't know about this yet. Um, and immediately they think they're under attack because this big monster punches through the ground. And then you find out very quickly that the monster is the one who's been violently, that's a Morlock that's been violently murdered. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good fake out mo- moment. It's uh, just, just, just good storytelling. I think that Chris Claremont's going somewhere. Uh... <laughs> It'll be a while,
0: but we'll eventually get to these stories on my podcast. I have so much to say. There's a moment at the end of the mutant massacre where Thor like sends lightning through the tunnels to like raise everything and like purify it. And even that the big white God, like sending lightning to, to exterminate the sites of massacre, like, Like, there's, I have so many feelings about this story. (laughs) Um,
1: But as, as always, he really kills it on the, on the, um, the, dialogue not the dialogue The um Claremont's what's the word for non-dialogue uh text uh where he says uh the young Morlock's life ends before her scream and you just see her I don't know she didn't even have time to scream you see this like energy drifting out of her mouth from her like sort of uh desiccated courts yeah sad.
0: are you thinking of the word
1: subtext
0: i'm not sure <laughs> no it's
1: not subtext um uh just say the caption box sure, uh,
0: sure. yeah yeah uh <laughs> and something that's so often subtext because there's plenty of that <laughs> something that so often happens with victims of violent crime and this is something i explore in my documentary as well is the victim is not honored they're only remembered because they were killed by a person whose name we remembered you can name Jeffrey Dahmer you can't name other characters uh who uh who or so you can't name his victims uh uh you can name the, the the guys at Columbine but you don't remember the people who were killed and so often in publication history after this Tommy and Cybell are only remembered in association with them being victims of the Marauders uh Grey Crow kind of becomes a focus character for this over the years we often see images of Grey Crow where he is, uh, he is feeling guilty or he's having some sort of dream and Tommy and Cybele are among the people who he remembers. We see this in, uh, in Hellions number one. Well, well, that's a different story. We see this uh, in Uncanny X-Men 529 in 2010. Uh, we, we see Scalp Hunter kind of taunted by images generated by danger. Uh, and uh, Tommy is among those used to kind of torture him a little bit. Uh, he's sobbing and he's starting to reckon with his guilt. Uh, and yeah, frankly, good. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm glad <laughs> seeing him reckon with it a little bit. We also get it uh, in Electra number volume four, number three, in 2014 by Hidden Blackman. Uh, we uh we get a little bit different portrayal once Krakoa comes around. Uh in Hellion's number one, Tommy is back. She's alive. Uh <laughs> mm-hmm. Krakoa now has the ability to resurrect dead mutants. They've taken imprints, they can bring people back. Uh, did you read Hellion's number one? Uh Cybelle is mm-hmm. here too.
1: Yeah. What and happens? it's good. They get to well, they get to attack him. I do think he does kill them. Um, but uh but they show up while he's uh It's actually a a fairly delightful scene where they show up and go like uh it's the anniversary of the um of the uh mutant massacre and he's
0: uh and where is the sorry I'm having to scroll through my comics to get there. Um yeah, so uh she's an all-white in this issue, Tommy, and she has Mm Cybeliter side, Air, Callisto Piper, mask, uh, They all walk up on Gray Crow, who's like sitting on the beach, enjoying himself and cleaning his guns. And it's the anniversary of the massacre. And they're like, fuck you. Like, you think we're going to live on this island in peace with you? And they just attack him. And he like,
1: it's really, yeah, sick him, get him. (laughs) And as like, as a reader, you're like, uh, who who, as a reader who he is supposed to be one of the main characters of the book, you really are like, get him, kill him, rip his throat out.
0: Uh, and then that's the that's the impetus for Gray Crow joining the uh, the Hellions team and his exploration by Zeb Wells in this series is just phenomenal. He's an assassin. He's got a new type of life, and he's trying to you know reclaim himself. Uh, and then we get the incredible Inferno Volume Two Number One in twenty nine. Well, it just this is like a brand new book written by uh, written by Jonathan Hickman. Tommy is back for one whole panel, and she is an <laughs> operative of X Force. Her rainbow hair. Is cascading across the room. She has been sent to spy on Orcus, and uh, she's got like a laptop and like Krakoa flower tech. Uh, it's only it's like one... and also
1: the hair extends into
0: like on her face
1: now into like a mask.
0: Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Incredible work in the field she's doing. Uh, she, she, there's one panel. She says, "X Force Recon Agent Tommy reporting in. The Orca's observation team I've been watching in Paris appears to have just gone hot." And Sage responds, "Understood, Tommy. Logged and prioritized. Stay on it." I would love, love, love to see this character on a team. I would love to yeah, see her. that hair. Medusa.
1: Eat your heart out, Medusa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah I would love to see her more because well it's also so clear that she has we were talking about this earlier she has a life and she has I don't know there's so much there that you could do um, but she's just
0: fucking fabulous and Cybele is a character I would love to see explored more I love these obscure characters that we want more of and the X-Men has 10,000 of them but Tommy is right at the top of my list there is a whole Mm -hmm. story and a whole character that I adore Mm -hmm. yeah Ultimately, like I
1: said, the, the Drew Barrymore of uh, of the X-Men franchise.
0: <laughs> Ultimately, we are kind of left with our feelings for this character. But I love that Hickman used her for this one panel. It shows that he knows people love and remember. Uh, and we get to see what happens next. I don't know.
1: And it's nice to, I don't know, the way you've always had only her background to kind of fill in the gaps on what she's doing now i mean i would love to see her in a book but it is also nice to just know that she's back and living a life like she's not a character who only existed to die she's she's i don't know it's nice to have care it, the opportunity of Krikoa is this is kind of where it's exemplified and that
0: you to, it's nice
1: to see these characters be able to live and exist again and i don't know be more than someone who violently died for a second
0: we had to wait 40 years, but yeah, she's got a life. She didn't end <laughs> just as a victim. It was one part of her story. Uh, and and, the, and the, the Marauders themselves are getting some mm-hmm. sympathy because they had a different type of life too. I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that we have a resolution on that, except just to say, I'm glad it is where it is. Um, I guess
1: the, the conclusion on the Marauders is, fuck Sinister. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but also we
0: love him. <laughs>
1: But also we love, sin- fuck Sinister, but also I love to fuck Sinister.
0: <laughs> uh, Bradley Clinton, I adore you. I think you're wonderful. Um, where can people find you online? And recognizing this is coming out this next weekend after Thanksgiving, <laughs> is there anything you want to plug? Uh,
1: well, if Twitter's still around, uh, you can find me at Knife System on Twitter. I, so I, I started a TikTok out of desperation. Uh, I uh just signed up for hive i don't know where the hell you can find me look up knife knife system on a platform and see if it pulls me out you Um, must have a
0: website though right
1: oh yeah yeah yeah. um it's a wixie site i mean it's on all of my uh social media platforms Yeah, Uh, yeah. yeah um but yeah look up bradley a clayton and you'll find me um but uh, yeah, 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 pick up young men in love, um, pick up an issue of, uh, of uh, friction uh, by Brinklet. found uh, me a lot of places.
0: Uh, Grimalkin Lane is Grimalkin PP like podcast on Twitter, underscore Lane on Instagram. Uh, we're putting regular content out. Our next patreon episode after this is going to feature the character Scarecrow, who's a very X-Men adjacent, but he has fought the X-Men a few times, uh, with the incredible writer Clay McLeod Chapman. And uh, I don't remember what the next episode of my podcast is after that. One second. Oh, uh, oh, I'm going to be doing uh, the trial, <laughs> the joint trial of The Vanisher and Eunice the Untouchable will be uh, out around the same time as this release. Uh, so shortly after, first weekend in, uh, in uh, December. Uh, Bradley, thank you for your time and talents today. It's good to see you, my friend.
1: Uh, good to see you too. Lovely to be back.
0: Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll look forward to having you back soon, but we'll definitely talk uh, Kazar at least.
1: Okay, sounds good.
0: All right, my friend, have a beautiful day. Happy Thanksgiving.
1: All right, you too.
0: Okay, bye everybody. See you back here next time.